Hello and welcome again to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. The podcast is made for the Financial Mail, but it is widely distributed so you can find it on the FM website and on the Apple and Spotify podcast platforms. My guest today needs no introduction, and he's in a hurry, and there's a lot to talk about. Pravin Gordhan has run the Revenue Service, served two terms as Finance Minister, a brief one as the Minister of Cooperative Government and Traditional Affairs, and we know him now as Minister of Public Enterprises. In other words, you know, from ESCOM to SAA, Danel to Transnet, and our clogged up ports, he's in charge. He takes a lot of criticism, I'm sad to say, all of which he remembers, but it's an almost impossible job. First of all, thank you very much for your time today. And I want to start with SAA and the proposed sale agreement underway to sell a 51% stake in the struggling, expensive, pretty much bankrupt national airline that you fought for for a long time to a private sector consortium. How's that progressing? Well, Peter, firstly, thank you very much for having me. And uh, you're completely right. Uh, The the public enterprises portfolio is a, a challenging one. Given that many South Africans forget the kind of impact that state capture and corruption had on enterprises generally, but SAA in particular as as well. So as far as the SAA uh, situation is concerned, as you know, it's been in business rescue from the 6th of December until the 30th of April. It's now out of business rescue. But during that period, there were some 30 expressions of interest. Uh, in SAA, and uh, we appointed a transaction advisor, a commercial bank. Uh, which one did? Which one was R- that? RMB. Okay. To actually screen uh, all of those expressions of interest, and to advise us on which ones uh, had uh, sufficient weight and cash behind them, uh, in order to be able to meet one of the important conditions that we had set. And that is that uh, the new airline will not depend on the South African fiscus, meaning no taxpayer money will be utilized uh, if we do manage to restructure the SAA uh, enterprise and get it onto a different kind of footing. Uh, The condition, of course, as we began to engage with these various external parties, that uh, many, if not all of them, said that we're interested was that all historical debt and uh, liabilities must be that of government. Uh, And unfortunately, as the pandemic uh, wore on into late 2020 and then early 2021, what we had was a situation where there was less and less interest uh, from some of the global uh, organizations that were interested. And... uh, we then had uh, the, the, these two South African entities that decided to work together, Global and Harrod, uh, and we then uh, negotiated a memorandum of understanding, which is what we announced when we appointed them as a preferred bidder, so to speak. And the process at the moment is a due diligence process that is being conducted, A, by the department into Uh, the consortium, which is called Takatso, and then by the consortium into SAA. That should be completed in the next few weeks, and uh, that will then determine whether uh, the transaction goes ahead or not, and we are optimistic that it would. 
but you never know in these due diligence exercises as to what really emerges. In the next step after that, if all things are well, is the signing of a purchase and sale agreement. And before, just before and immediately after, there will be regulatory uh, compliance issues, one with the PFMA and others in relation to the aviation industry and perhaps other regulatory bodies as well. So the process is going well uh, at this stage. The consortium has the cash uh, to put into the startup of the airline and uh, the partnership seems to be sticking together uh, in the consortium itself. So you're confident, you're confident both politically and commercially that you can get a deal signed because there has been some political opposition and it goes a little like this from depending on which side of the sort of political fence you stand on the on the left it's you know this is a privatization um, of South African Airways which in in many respects it is it's 51% is control um, in private hands um, uh, and from the right is oh well you know this is uh, sort of ANC uh, buddies getting a deal uh, the, the state will carry on financing them and putting money SAA's way. How, can, how do you know you won't have to fund it again? Because that's part of the deal, and which is a strange thing that I don't understand. Uh, we've been saying this for some time as government, that what you want is a restructured airline, which is viable, which is agile, which is competitive, and in which uh, a SEP will have to come in with the cash on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, the state is not going to be fiscally in a position uh, to put any money into the future operations of the airline. So sometimes I think it's a regrettable case of not wanting to hear a message because you don't like it uh, and because it doesn't fit in with the framework or the paradigm that you're actually working with. Uh, and then, of course, yes, uh, there, have, there have been many sales, as you know, of state assets in the past. This is not the first one. In the 19, early, late 1990s, early 2000s, uh, if you remember Aventura as a tourism enterprise within the state, uh, there are other partnerships in Danel and elsewhere that the state entered into as well. So this is not the first of these occasions when either a partnership or a joint venture or a complete sale has actually taken place. And the position of the governing party on this is, is fairly clear uh, in the ready-to-govern document, which says that each of the decisions that we make as government to either increase the stake or decrease the stake in a particular situation will depend on, on the evidence at the point in time and the facts that actually obtain. I think that the key message, as far as I'm concerned, is that here was an airline that was really stripped of uh, good people. It was stripped of uh, good management and uh, stripped in various other ways of cash uh, as, as well. And what we are doing, and this is, uh, applies to all of the other SOEs as well that we are responsible for, and even those that we are not responsible for. Uh, we are now in the process of restoring some level of stability. And on e in each case, we'll have to look at the merits of what kind of 
partnerships or uh, changes in business model are required in order for that particular enterprise to survive into the future. You wanted it to be still to be called South African Airways. You said in the initial announcement of this agreement um, that you were going to hold as a state an undilutable 33% stake in SAA. Are there other sort of lines in the sand, or is that were those the were those it? There was the management, the new management coming in, uh, will remove presumably the management that it replaces to a large extent. That might cause cause more howls of protest. Uh, one doesn't know, but you can assume nobody goes quietly from a cushy job. Um, uh, how how rough do you expect this all to be? Well, well let's just get to the get to the la- the lines in the sand. Have I missed anything out? No, so no, you haven't. But uh, I was going to come to it now. There is, uh, uh, if you like, a golden share, and this is not strange in uh, the airline world. Uh, the Australian government has a so-called golden share and requirement of Qantas. The British government has a similar one in British Airways. You retain the brand, you retain where your headquarters are, uh, and so on. So similarly, as part of the golden share, we have, the, as, you, as you correctly put it, the 33% non-dilutable share. Secondly, we have uh, security over brand, the domicile of the airline. Uh, and thirdly, uh, there's a huge commitment from the consortium to transformation uh, within within the airline itself. And uh, as you know, we've had a situation on the side of the pilots, for example, where black pilots always have remained at the bottom of the rung uh, because of the kind of conditionalities that were set by the older pilots who happened to be white. Uh, so th- th- there is, to repeat, a golden share a part of which and a crucial part of which is the non-dilutable part but there are also uh, other conditionalities that would enable us to uh, for example if there's a if the consortium decides to sell uh, we have the state has the right is first option to decide whether it wants to buy that particular share uh, or, or not if uh, it wants to raise capital the state can have a decision uh, opportunity at that point in time to to match whatever it is the consortium does. Well, let's, let's come, to, come to the capital raising because it's a capital intensive industry. Um, this is an airline that's going to have to buy some very expensive airplanes. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to buy, it, provided that you are. And that's the big mistake. Whether it's Mango, it's SAA, SA Express. In in all of those cases, the kind of uh, negotiations that took place with lessors was less than acceptable let me yeah. put it that way well it's got a it's got a it's got a it's got to spend um, a pretty fair amount of money buying or, or leasing aircraft that can fly locally intercontinentally and and globally um I presumably i mean we still want that we still want an SA that's a, a sort of a flag carrier even though it might be privatized i mean that's would you right. be hoping to see it flying still to London and the US and the US to China to Hong Kong? In, yeah, in, in in time, I think a lot depends on the pandemic. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and how it matches, uh, or rather how it uh, works out. Uh, we all thought there'll be one wave of the pandemic. We are now in wave three. Some in in the northern hemisphere are now talking about a wave four uh, as they went approaches. Oh, no, no question. There'll be more waves. Yeah. Then, uh, 
Interestingly enough, wave three, Discovery, is apropos of nothing, Discovery is reckoning now that the Eastern Cape is so heavily affected by the second wave um, that it probably won't get much of a, of a third wave, which um, uh, it'll be the least affected by the third wave. Nonetheless, let's come back to the subject. The 33%, it surely can't be the case that you need the 33% in order to hold a golden share. I mean, as I understand it, the British government has one share, or it simply has a golden share in BA, and that gives it the right to protect it from foreign takeover, make sure that it's a British company paying its taxes properly. They don't have transformation issues, but 33% is going to, that, that line in the sand is going to come under pressure, surely, as the partner needs more capital. You've committed not to, not to spending any more money on them, on SAA, but it's going to need money. And the only way they can go to get money is by selling equity. And you, if you sit on 33% of it, you're going to get in the way of SAA being bigger and, and more successful. Well, you know, that's a decision to be made sometime in the future. Right now, I think uh, the way things are working out, 50, 5149 is going to be the starting point. Let the due diligence exercise be completed. Uh, and there's enough in the SAA stable to uh, have some net asset value that's uh, above zero, although it's not huge at, the, at this stage. Uh, and and it, it's going to start on a gradual basis uh, as, as a new venture. Uh, and a lot depends on a, a lot of decisions that will be made about routes, about frequencies, about the region. Uh, about the continent as a whole and, uh, as you correctly point out, other destinations in the world. One of the things that I think South Africa has done poorly is to manage its airspace uh, in, a, in a proper way, unlike other countries. So Ethiopian would have managed it in a particular way, and many foreign jurisdictions also manage their airspace in a particular way. The SAA flight from Joburg to London doesn't stop over in London and then fly over to Amsterdam, for example, uh, which it could if it was granted that kind of consent. But we have allowed all sorts of things to actually happen on uh, in the South African skies. Do you think we're too open? Far too open. Uh, the South African meal has been eaten by many. And all of that amounts to foreign exchange leaving South Africa at the end of the day. But surely surely airlines are bringing foreign exchange into the country by virtue of bringing tourists tourists and, and, and businesses. I mean, we wouldn't want to discourage BA three or four flights a day into, into, the, into the country, surely. No, no, that's, that's a part of the competitive landscape that uh, SAA will have to, of the future, will have to man manage itself. As far as you know, we still do keep a slot in London. We didn't sell them all, did we? There's two slots oh, there. Two yeah. slots in London. Okay. One has been leased out to another yeah. airline. And the and and the political noise that first accompanied the announcement. I know we've had a couple of distractions since then, and the South African story moves along at a pretty rapid clip. Um, uh, the political noises that you we first heard about SAA um, aren't, don't trouble you. Um, in other words, the opposition. You know what's going on. It's the kind of what's going on. Is it a you know is it a is the government giving something away for free to capitalists or, or that sort of stuff? Are you concerned? No, well, I mean, as we've seen, uh, government is, is, is deeply committed to structural reforms. 
uh, and, and a number of those have applied to the energy situation where you've heard the president announce a new ceiling of 100 megawatts uh, for uh, private generation. Uh, so generation of power is going to become uh, more diverse and it will become even more diverse as we approach COP26 and beyond uh, in terms of our commitments to decarbonize and depending on what kind of uh, technical but also financial support we receive from the north so to speak and the developed part of the world uh, secondly we are seeing important changes in relation to transnet and the ports as a port system both in terms of increasing investment but also increasing efficiencies at the port uh, they are, there's an interesting meeting taking place right now between the board management and the trade unions that are uh, operating within Transnet as a partnership. Uh, and and uh, we've got to lift ourselves as, uh, as port operators from the bottom of the rung as far as the Southern Hemisphere is concerned uh, and begin to reintroduce the kind of efficiency we had some years ago. How did it get so bad? Well, you had lots of interesting decisions that uh, have been before the Zondo Commission. Firstly, around locomotives. Secondly, around cranes. Thirdly, around uh, diversion of uh, capital from uh, even maintenance of some of these basic pieces of equipment so that uh, the money could be stolen uh, as part of the locomotive deal. And uh, but I mean, the, isn't it the tra- tragedy? I mean, we're in the middle of a commodities boom. Mm. People are screaming for what we've got in the ground. We can dig it yeah. out, but we can't get it onto a ship. No, I think. Look, uh, there's another set of problems. Well, not enough. There's another set of problems yeah. that are not necessarily efficiency related. Uh, so the port system is one, and I think it's. It still has uh, a reasonably good system operating both at uh, Richards Bay for coal and Saldana for iron ore. And both Saldana and uh, Kaveja uh, for uh, manganese. Uh, But the new management at Transnet has actually identified what they call eight segments that it's now focusing on. But on the rail side, the issue of cable theft, the issue of damage to rail infrastructure, which Prasa has also experienced, uh, is something that we haven't done enough about from a law enforcement point of view. So it it then uh, means that there are are parts of the rail system where you have to switch from an electric uh, locomotive to a diesel locomotive because the wiring has been interfered. Right. So so a whole new security system needs to be introduced in order for the rail system to be able to connect to, to the port system. Yeah. That's been a problem for a decade yeah. um, or more. But isn't it interesting that we ha- you have now with the way you've approached SAA um, a, a, perhaps some sort of model of how to look at other problems, you know? I mean, could the private sector possibly just experimentally be used now that the ports business has been corporatized in a way. Um, you know, why don't they go and find a private partner like SAS found a private partner? Um, and 
and we can, you know, fix Durban Port or Cape Town Port, which if you speak to wine farmers in the Cape, um, you know, they're under another lockdown, but, um, you know, when they are able to export, they still can't because, you know, the ships are, the, the port is so inefficient. Yeah, no, so let's take one thing at a time. The, the, yeah. the, the wine farmers are able to export. So they have a special allowance which allows them to ex, uh, transport alcohol uh, to ports for export purposes. Secondly, yeah. uh, uh, the, 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 the citrus crop this year, for example, has been quite phenomenal. Yeah. And we've been working with the agri industry and citrus farmers and fruit farmers and so on, uh, both as a ministry, but also as Transnet in order to work with them uh, and make sure that their exports land in Cape Town. Uh, and some of them have a quite a, a difficult value chain behind them uh, and, and get exported. Uh, last year, we went out of our way and we saved uh, the export situation, notwithstanding the COVID infections that took place at Cape Town Harbor. And thirdly, there are, there are plans that uh, uh, Transnet has uh, through its ports authority to improve uh, the situation at Cape Town Harbor as well. So you, you, you're going does, to see over it... the next couple of years, you're going to see quite phenomenal investments, firstly. But secondly... State uh, investment or private investment? Both. Okay. Both. How, how would a private investor invest in a port without having some form of control over what happens to their money? No, they, 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 you, you, you'll find uh, that's the first RFIs, the request for information, yeah. are due to be issued later this month, early next month. And okay. uh, what we want to establish is what's the appetite in the private sector. Okay. Uh, we've met uh, global shipping lines, for example, uh, over the last couple of weeks. There's a huge interest to invest in South Africa yeah. and to assist both in terms of equipment uh, but also in terms of the infrastructure side as, as well. And importantly, I think uh, what you want is new players to begin to emerge within the South African sure. uh, marine system, if you want to put it more broadly. Yeah. And yeah. new and new players who bring in capital in one form or another, uh, who are going to ensure that a whole new crop of entrepreneurs begin to develop uh, in this particular sector that has been short of opportunities For sure. uh, no, until, I mean, until recently. So well, the, only way, the only way to build the kind of wealth you're talking about that, that isn't necessarily white and colonial, in other words, new black or new South yeah. African capital, is to, is to do exactly this, you know, is to give, as has happened with Harith, um, uh, or Harith, as they call it, is is to you know is to give it a, a, a decent slice of the cake yeah um and 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 let it and see what happens you know and if it doesn't work out well you know the market's the market somebody else will buy it no no um, uh, all i'm all i'm saying to you without disclosing yeah. too much at this yeah, yeah is watch the space okay we've all got right. all of that through uh yeah. and it's a question of timing yeah and uh we the, the the kind of trajectory that the president has set in terms of structural reforms, uh, in particular in the infrastructure area, uh, yeah. is 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 an exciting set of possibilities for all sorts of sectors in South Africa. We I just wish we'd see more evidence of the infrastructure projects being done. You know, you'd yeah. have thought 
that there would be a national sort of uh, dashboard of what's yep. where and you know we've done yesterday we laid 26 kilometers of tarred road or we dug you know 25 kilometers of sewage pipe but it's all secret and hidden and nobody talks about it so the, pu the publicity about this infrastructure program is absolutely i think appalling but anyway no, I, I, I can not agree with you more. <laughs> thank you. One of your um, favorite parts of your job is ESCOM, um, uh, which takes up even more time, I suspect, than, than SAA does. Um, and I've been watching uh, Andre Dereta, who was appointed um, CEO, I think, at the end of 2019, now just before, um, just before the, the uh, pandemic struck us. Um, and he seems to be, he was, first of all, he came under attack for being racist, right? This is from people who had been fired or, 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 or had left the company for whatever reason. Um, uh, that didn't seem, that, you know, that didn't work and it sort of bounced off a few walls and seemed to sort of, you know, roll to a stop somewhere. And now I saw, and I don't know if you read one of the Sunday papers yesterday, but there was a sort of long accusation that he had done something corrupt at SAA. So there's a new avenue in attack. The man is under attack constantly uh, from outside. And I wanted to ask you to what extent he can rely on you for political support. Oh, he knows. Ask him. He'll tell you. Uh, 100%. Uh, not only from me, for, but from all parts of government. So as a, as a leader within, within ESCOM, he has our, well, let me put it this way, 150% support. Uh, firstly. Secondly, he's done a, a remarkable job up to this point in time in stabilizing the outfit. But thirdly, uh, what also doesn't get enough coverage from your side of the table, so to speak, is enough investigative work to expose the kind of syndicates that are operating, whether it is in relation to the trucking industry, the coal supply industry, the maintenance uh, uh, industry and other role players who supply one or other thing to 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 ESCOM. Uh, and the insiders uh, who haven't all disappeared, who haven't all been exposed, and who haven't retired from their sport of corruption yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, over 3,000 people uh, in, in ESCOM at one stage didn't... Uh, provide uh, information about uh, their so-called conflict of interest uh, survey or something like that. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. That's a humongous number. That's a humongous uh, number. Amongst 40,000 people. So uh, Andre is doing a great job. At, uh, ESCOM will be restructured into three units, the first of which is a transmission unit by the end of de uh, December this year, if not sooner. Secondly, uh, it is on a, and again, the media hasn't covered this area in a proper way. Uh, there's a just uh, energy transition plan that's been put in place for the first of the decommissioning uh, or de uh, soon to be decommissioned uh, unit at Kumati Power Station. And that involves labor, it involves the local community, it involves uh, the placement of uh, the energy facility there with renewables. It involves uh, a whole lot of DFIs who are very excited about this as probably uh, a world first in terms of the way it is being approached. Can you can you get this done quickly? 
I mean, you're going to need a much you're going to need a much faster transition than you're planning for. I suspect. So part of part of the work that is going on at the moment, together with the president's climate commission, uh, which Vali Musa, as vice chair, is convening, yeah. uh, is in fact a uh, is a kind of let's call it package of commitments yeah. that South Africa will present at COP26, and a crucial there are two crucial players uh, as far as uh, decarbonisation is concerned in South Africa. One is Eskom, the other is Sasol. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, one is public sector, one is private sector. Yeah. And uh, we are in discussions a couple of times a week at the moment uh, with all sorts of players uh, to work out the right route uh, and and the roadmap going into into the into the future as well. Okay. Because the thing I ask about Andre Dorator because I get the impression that while you say you support him a hundred percent. It's one you're one man. You know anything could happen to you. I mean, you live in in a very dangerous part of the world at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and you know we you and I are in a risk group. Um, you know, is there? I mean, if you weren't there, and another minister came along, he wouldn't possibly could you 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 know you'd ha- he'd have to start all, regain his confidence or that relationship would start all over again. You know, is it? Is, I tell you what I'm asking. I'm trying to get to the board, because it seems to me, and you, we had talked about this over a year ago, when Jabu Mabuza, now so tragically taken by COVID, when he resigned um, at the in January, I think, early last year, hmm. you replaced him um, with um, uh, the the lead director on the board at hmm. the time, Malagapuru Makhova. And I clearly remember being told that this was just purely temporary. It'd be a matter of weeks or days even before you found a new chairman. And you haven't found a new chairman. And this is ESCOM. And the thing is, if, you know, in terms of protecting the executive that's reforming the the monopoly, the, the company, surely you would want a stable and strong board in place yesterday a year ago to do for Dorota what you're doing now but may not always be there to do but you haven't you've kept the same board and i saw a very interesting piece by and you'll remember jabalani sikakani yes um one of your former spokesmen wrote a very very strong piece the other day i think for the conversation where he's where he's editor on how the board at escom really needs shaking up in fact it needs firing um and replacing no. So, firstly, uh, true. We thought it could uh, the board could be replaced uh, fairly uh, soon at that time, but then we've had the pandemic, and it has delayed all sorts of processes. But secondly, I, I'm not operating here as an individual. I'm talking about a government which supports uh, uh, Andre and the kind of work that he and his team are attempting to do. Uh, and Andre enjoys uh, support from the highest level in government, not just from me as the minister. So there will be those attacks, and they're very regrettable, but they're also very opportunistic. And uh, right-thinking South Africans must also uh, call out these people who use the race card whenever it suits them uh, against either a white individual, but sometimes against a black individual as well. Sure. Uh, for opportunistic reasons. But the board has lost its credibility. 
No, no, uh, we we are attending to that, Peter. The, I don't have a magician's uh, <laughs> wand, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I'm very aware of that, and I and I don't disagree that the board needs to be uh, phenomenally strengthened. Yeah, just very very quickly, where do you stand on this on this sort of thing of of ESCOM's choices? I mean, what do um, you know? The the Minister of Energy is clearly a gas fan. Um, uh, where is where is where is instinctively for you because you're involved whether you or not you make energy policy? Um, where would you like to see ESCOM spinning its future? You know, building its future in renewables or a mix? It's, a mix is such an easy thing to say, but I mean, you know, where's the where's the where's the main drive going to have to be? Well, look, I mean, the the IRP nineteen is valid up to a point, and there are many. Uh, people interesting from the investment community, I was reading something yesterday, who acknowledge that uh, as far as emerging economies are concerned, not just South Africa, but South Africa among them, uh, the world has got to give them a glide path as far as coal is concerned, and the IRP19 does reflect that. So there will be a declining uh, usage of coal, but it will happen over a couple of decades. Secondly, uh, I was talking to one of the foreign governments who have an interest in uh, supporting some of these just transition uh, roadmaps that we're talking about. And they also understand that uh, gas might be a step down from coal. So it's, it's less carbon intensive than coal is, and they might accept that as a proposition. And, and generally, I think we, even we as South Africans have got to be careful that this is not a, a case of a guillotine uh, that's going to fall on coal. Uh, no, but the, but what's happening in the in the rest of the world is that financing is becoming harder and harder to find much more quickly than originally estimated. Then we get to the renewable sector, and there's uh, there's a phenomenal about a, amount of interest from all sorts of places. and money. And money yeah. that's available as as, as yeah. well. What we yeah. what we need is a combination, which recognizes. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> no, because that's the truth. Uh, in most parts of the world, there's no there's no country in the world that's totally dependent upon solar or whatever the case might be. The combination that that is emerging in our case would be minimizing coal over a period of time. Uh, utilizing gas to the extent that our logistics allows it, uh, increasing phenomenally our, our investment in renewables. So mark that, phenomenal increase in, in investment there. And then fourthly, uh, the new uh, player on the scene will be battery storage, uh, which will have to play an important part in terms of uh, the base load. And in Depending on whether we have the fiscal means or the right financial models, there's also uh, the question of nuclear. Yeah, as, as well. But small. Yeah. Um, lastly, I know, and I know you're in an ANC NEC meeting today in the wake of a weekend meeting delayed by events surrounding former President Jacob Zuma and his supporters at Nkandla. People are saying that we face a constitutional crisis because of the Concord's decision to send him to jail for 15 months for contempt of court. And my response, looking at the crowd yesterday, was really, this is the concept? It didn't seem that serious to me. I mean, how 
how worried should people be? No, I think we, we uh, I mean, I can't speak for the ANC, that, that will sure. come later today. Yeah. Uh, but what is clear is that we've spent decades of struggle to get freedom in this country. And freedom is uh, appearing or has appeared on our stage as a constitutional democracy. And uh, it is this constitution which is the bedrock of our democracy for decades to come. And uh, in that sense, uh, I think the constitution and loyalty to the constitution is, is, a, is a crucial factor. But uh, let's see how things play out. Uh, there are court processes and so on on the way. Uh, but I don't want to say too much on sure. uh, on, on this particular question. No, that's fine. Until that's... the courts have decided themselves. Sure. Well, listen, thank you uh, very much, Minister Pravin Gordon, for joining me today. That's all we have time for. And Minister, please be careful in Gauteng. As I say, it's a dangerous place to be. Stay, stay inside. Uh, thank you so much, too, for listening to this podcast. And I'll be back with another stimulating guest next week. Goodbye and stay safe.